0: Hello, everybody! hello everybody, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast and Family Fellowship Chapel Sunday Night Bible Study. We're glad to have you from wherever you are. We were much amazed today when we looked into Facebook and saw how far reaching and around the world our information on Facebook has gone. And of course, we've always known that our podcast reached internationally, but we've been blessed by God, friends, to have our message go around the world. And it often astounds me that other than going to Mount Airy to preach the gospel, I never leave Winston-Salem, but the word of God is going around the world. What a blessing. Well, tonight we're going to do part three and hopefully close the book on this concerning legalism versus grace. We want to welcome you again to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, of ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapels Direct Messaging if you have a question. These last three podcasts and Bible studies put on Facebook were all stimulated by listeners uh, questioning. And so we want to be very thorough in our answering and make sure that... Um, the perspective from which um, we see the scripture in relation to the question is thoroughly mined and everybody uh, is able to thoroughly go through the information. And so we put it on Facebook and we put it on the podcast and we welcome you to um, contact us with conversation on this. I see David and I see Sharon Glad to have you both. Let's have a word of prayer. By the way, don't forget my book, Uh, I Surrender, available on Amazon in your local bookstore as well. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see in our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. And then may we apply that to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear son. Now, Father, we... Uh, surrender ourselves, yield ourselves, and sanctify ourselves to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. We ask you to show us what we need to do, know, understand, and demonstrate, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us from there. Father, we give you glory today. We'll receive what your word says. And as we receive what your word says, we will release it and reveal it to your people. We thank you for it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. I see Lorraine, and I see Vicki. I see David, and I see Sharon, and I know there are many more watching because at the end of the night, there are very many who do not uh, make a comment but who show up on Facebook, and we're very glad for every one of you. Now, tonight, we're speaking on legalism versus gray th- gray high Joyce, Uh, versus grace and truth. So as I begin tonight's response uh, on similar issues that uh, are of concern um, and this idea of the steeple has been brought up that adorns adorns our church as well as the crosses that we display very freely in our building. Please allow me to say this. In our church world, there are Christian words such as love and grace that are inappropriately used by many in the doctrines that do not correctly define or describe the meanings or the intentions of the words as they relate to the church. So when we talk about steeples or the cross um, being hung in our church as being pagan symbols... um, We really don't understand the authority and the power and the representation of that cross and its meaning to us. So, in essence, what we are doing with those who say the steeple is pagan and should be removed or the cross is pagan and should be removed, well, I want to show you something tonight concerning grace, high Charles, and truth. Uh, And love, and love. Please allow me to say this. Our church world completely misappropriates love, grace, faith, truth, completely misappropriates those. So are we to dispatch love and grace because someone out there misrepresents the meaning of the words? Are we to attempt to live for Christ without the the use of, and the utilization of words such as love and grace, because someone mishandled their relationship to the life of a believer, because someone wanted to draw circles instead of lines on the behavior of mankind and tell them that they were included by love and by grace regardless of them living a disobedient life, That makes absolutely no sense. Neither does this concept of steeples and crosses of being paganistic in nature. Please allow me to say this. As I begin tonight's response, uh, this makes absolutely no sense because others see the meanings of these words in a fashion that is not what someone who looks at them and concludes them the love of the Father, the Word of God, the life of Jesus Christ, that the Word is teaching us that we are totally accepted without any conditions at all. We live like we want to. We know that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we are to keep His commandments. So, But we don't throw away grace and love and truth and faith. We don't throw them away because someone has characterized them in a fashion that uh, is misrepresented and mishandled. We're not going to throw away what the cross means to us because someone somewhere said somebody paganized it. Well, they might have paganized it for them, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But to me, When I look up and I see that steeple or I see the cross, on the top of that I see a cross. And that tells me that as that cross goes heavenwards, that cross has overruled and overrun anything that was demonic that any man ever put to be associated and attached to it. Well, of course, they make no sense because others misrepresent a meaning Others say, say things that are absolutely not true. We've studied the Word of God enough to know that grace is not only something that everybody must have. Grace itself is Jesus Christ, according to John 114 and 117. Obedience is how he lived in accordance with his love relationship to his father. Now we're smart enough to see that he is the author of eternal salvation, and he offered it through being obedient to the things which he suffered. We're also smart enough to see that he was perfect, and that as we discern each of the steps of the way back to the man in being going as the way back to the man in the Godhead, bodily, he made a provision through his actions that we must be replicated that we must have replicated in us. By the replication, we're delivered from our sin nature and we can follow him in obedience. Grace and truth then, although misrepresented by many, are vital. We cannot throw out the baby of someone's misrepresented belief on grace, truth, and love and as if we were throwing out the baby in the bathwater. So instead of leaving grace and truth, my friend, we huddle around it. We come to know what it means. We proclaim it in all of the validity that it has in operation to the life of a believer, the life of a lost one, loved one, the life of a lost one, and the life of the believer, as well as the life of the church. We don't avoid the message of love, grace, and truth because some theologian who had no revelation and no insight expresses his opinion on these important words, and his opinion becomes a detriment to the life of holiness and purity, cleansing, purging, and refining, and the life of obedience that every believer must have. No, we simply teach the truth concerning these words we activate them correctly, we apply them expeditiously, and we appropriate them immediately. We use these words to help us navigate the message of the blood, grace, obedience, and faith. For without faith, we can never apply grace correctly. Without obedience, we can never appropriately appropriate faith correctly. So why am I sharing this? Because if we get caught up in the messaging that is bent, now watch me now, on discrediting the birth of Jesus Christ or discrediting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we're throwing the message of Jesus Christ in all of his actions that are to be replicated in us. We're throwing them out the door with absolutely no reason. The message of his birth is the single greatest day in the history of the world. Certainly evil desires to rear its head and say that this or that was made, and I devised this, and it's better. And I'm coming up with a way that is going to be better than the way of Jesus. I'm coming up with something to represent myself. Because I really am God. That's what the pagans are doing. That's what mankind in general is doing today. They're making gods of themselves, according to Romans chapter 1. But evil will attempt always to eliminate the birth. Particularly, it'll be done by those who never believed in his birth in the first place. If they did then they would come out of any attachment to this old thing we call legalism. But if they don't, then they must attack and attempt to demean the birth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're stuck in legalism and the only thing they can do is to make the birth of Jesus Christ either of none effect or as if it never happened. I heard a theologian who had studied the Jewish Bible say, absolutely Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay, that makes sense. They don't believe in his birth, period. (laughs) If they did, they wouldn't have crucified their Messiah. They believe he was a prophet and a teacher. So for them to deny his birth and want to make that day very concealed, well, that's very understandable. Because if you believe in his birth, that he was the son of God, then you have to come out of legalism and come into the blood of Jesus Christ. So certainly they want to uh, redirect and they want to distract the child of God from knowing the truth, certainly. Then we bring along the concept of Easter. Of course, they don't want or desire to deal with Easter. Why would they? Regardless if the day it's celebrated is right or not. Because in both cases, they would have to reconcile themselves to having crucified their Messiah. So do not expect the information that's produced by those who hold to legalism to be forthcoming with respect to Jesus Christ. Now, I pray for those who who are children of Israel and the Jews and for those who have determined their lifestyle to be their means of relationship with God. Absolutely, I do. Do I support Israel? Absolutely, I do. Do I give financing to Israel? Yes, I do. Why? Because we're commanded to pray for Israel. We're commanded to bless Israel. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end. What I say? Tino Jennings say. Read that again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Christ is the end of the law. He is the end of ritual. He is the end of legalism. He is the end of that to everyone who believes. Ephesians two nineteen. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Romans eleven twenty four and 25. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, huh, where do we hear about the olive tree? Well, old Pastor Mike preached it from Haggai chapter, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. You remember when we talked about the seed, that came to the prophet Haggai on the 24th and he said it's a seed in the barn in other words it's ready to be delivered and then he said there are going to be four things you're going to know about him he's going to be a vine he's going to have a source from God number two he's going to come from the fir tree he's got a fig tree he's going to come from Israel number three he's going to bring with him the pomegranate which means he's going to be the high priest and wear that high priest pomegranate around the rim outer rim of his lower garment and number four he's going to be the olive tree He's going to be the anointed one. Now listen to what the scripture said. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, who's he speaking of here, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted grafted into their own olive tree? Don't explain all this. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So I pray for Israel to be saved. I pray for all of those of you that are, 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 are Masonic, Messianic Jews, for all of those who have determined to make that particular spiritual way your spiritual way, even though that legalism can never be married to grace, no matter what you do or what you try to do, and the scripture is defining it right here. So I pray for Israel because you have a zeal, but not according to knowledge, therefore, You're living under legalism. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about to establish their own means of being righteous. Oh, now wait a minute. They look at things and they determine that that is a pagan thing because in my form of righteousness, that doesn't work. The way I see righteousness, that doesn't work. Well, my friend, you have a form and a zeal but not according to true knowledge. Therefore, you're living under legalism. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about to establish their own, but they have not submitted under the righteousness of God. Who is Paul referring them to? He's speaking of their condition of rejection of Jesus Christ as he is the righteousness of God that eliminates the law, that eliminates your reasoning to go into ritual your reasoning to go into legalism, your reasoning to do all of that is not necessary because you are no longer under that law. Look, for Christ is the end of legalism. He is the one who makes righteous through believing. Believing on what, pastor? The blood that activates grace that is applied to one's life by the obedience of faith. This is scripture, my friends. I'm, I've read to you from Romans 2 passages and Ephesians 1. Please continue to read Romans 10 and Galatians 5. It has some interesting messages, messaging for those who remain in legalism. As they're, uh, they have chosen a path concerning their spiritual things that is circling them around the mountain of which the Holy Ghost in Jesus Christ, according to the book of Zechariah, has made a plain. Wow. Then in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are no more strangers and foreigners with respect to how we've been brought into the family of God by Jesus. I pray that Israel understands the depths of Paul's words. Then Paul tells us in Romans 11 that we were cut out of an olive tree. Remember the messaging as I mentioned from Haggai 2 where we identified Jesus as the fourth part in that seed as being the olive tree. Israel is an olive tree with an anointing that is under the law. So Paul calls it wild by nature. Why? Well, because it has no means to temper itself by the grace who is Jesus Christ and that it is in Jesus Christ and then be measured by by the truth or the divine side. Well, what a message we're preaching tonight, brothers. In other words, when a man from Israel sacrificed a ram, for instance, he was identifying that the ram, which is a head butter, that he was identifying himself as being stubborn by nature. And the sacrifice he chose to represent him was the one that was identifying himself, and his nature. So Israel has a side that cannot be addressed by the fruit of the Spirit. Israel has a side that can find no means of restraint against their natural desires. In Christ Jesus, we're graft, contrary to nature, into the good olive tree, Jesus Christ, the seed that was in the barn on the 24th day that Haggai told us about. Who is that tree? It's the olive tree that came out of the resurrection, clothed in righteousness. He is the victoriously anointed Christ Jesus. This is who we are, and this is how we stand. Glory to God. We don't stand in bondage. Hallelujah. We stand in the freedom of a year of jubilee. Glory to God. We can't get around it. We must walk through it. Hallelujah. Now watch how Paul closes this verse. The natural olive tree is subject to their own olive tree. They're not subject anymore to the law because the olive tree has come to do away with the law. Watch it. How much more shall these which be natural who are the Jewish nation be grafted in by the one who had I prophesied was the seed in the barn. You will come through Jesus and you will eliminate legalism. You cannot marry the two. The scripture declares it. The word defines it. Jesus describes it. And grace has been brought for you to come through the olive tree. Can't come any other way, friends. This, my friend, is what I pray. And it's what I stand at the ready to see performed over Israel and all those who live under the wild olive tree of legalism. Come to the olive tree that releases you from this bondage. Now, my concern for anybody in this situation is that this individual said to me, I don't want to stand before him and have him say to me, turn away from me, I never knew you because I was worshiping under the pagan expression. Now you are into a position where fear is the driving mechanism of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Fear is bondage. Legalism is bondage. Bondage is the final thing that Jesus through the spirit of the Lord uh, that was upon him came to release every believer through the good news of the gospel. Did you ever look at the five things Jesus mentioned in Luke 4 as being the things the gospel would dispel? Notice He said to the poor, that can be eliminated with grace and truth being applied. The anointing will defeat that easily. Healing of the brokenhearted. Why is uh, this there? The brokenhearted have found out that what they believed and what they consider to be self-evident was in fact not the case. He's talking to Israel here. So they were shattered by that news. Their mind was confused by what had happened, but the response was that the good news of the anointed gospel had come to them in the person of Jesus Christ. When that was applied, their confusion had to leave. Then there were the captives. This is a bit deeper and a bit more involved. These are in prison. What are they in prison to? A system that has so many rules, rituals, and restraints that they feel as though they can't breathe. Why? Because if you're going to be legal and you do one, you got to do them all. And you got to live them all every day. The gospel came with an anointing to bring forgiveness that releases them from the rules, rituals, and restraints. Then to bring liberty to apply the good news of the gospel and live in the freedom of that gospel. Liberty. Then he ministers to the blind. They are the ones who are groping in darkness to locate the way, but they are blinded. They're blinded by tradition. They're blinded to truth. They're blinded to the good news. But this sight can be revived. How do we do it? By the good news of the peace that's present in the Spirit of God. Blindness must be addressed by the encounter of a new DNA. Where does the new DNA come from? Did it come from the dirt that Jesus put on the man's eye? Or the (coughs) spirit that he put into the dirt? The spirit brought out of him the DNA of the blood of Jesus Christ. It will do it, and it will do it every time. But it must be encountered, and it must be received. It must be encountered and received. The blood must be encountered. It must activate grace. Grace must be applied. Obedience through faith then appropriates it. If it's not done through that vein, then you remain blind. You remain under the rituals and the rules or the misrepresentation of the word of God. This is the word of God. Now, there are those who have deep internal wounds that show up in their lives as bruising. What could this refer to? Those who were so stubborn that they continually were in trouble due to their inability to take and follow directions. Those who were so deeply embedded in their belief system that they argued vehemently against the actions of Jesus Christ and the replications that are done by the Holy Spirit. They were defenders of their own idea. And if you did not adhere to their idea Then you were among You were among Those who called you wrong And unredeemable Someone said to me the other day Well I drove all over town And I looked at all of these churches And they all are full of pagan symbols Why? What are you saying? Everyone that attends that is unredeemable? everyone that has been in the house underneath what you determined in your legalistic mannerism as being pagan, that now the blood of Jesus stands for nothing? Is that possible that you could be that judgmental? My friend, there is no room for that. The blood of Jesus has redeemed and atoned for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Every one of them. It is up to the man, woman, boy, and girl to come through the blood, activating grace, then appropriating it by faith and living in obedience. Why do we want to damn those that have come through the blood? Why do we want to bring them under bondage? Well, my friend, we can't. and I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. This is an insight into the world of wokeism. Yes, the world of wokeism. This deeper than captivity becomes an extremely hard nut to crack because it has a narrative and it has followers who will augment the argument and who will define their right to stand on what they say is their truth. This is even though truth of the word of God opposes their perspective. But their truth trumps is more real than the truth. Now, the last place that Jesus found those to whom he came to minister was in a state of bondage. This is a position where the shop is completely closed. There is to be no engagement unless it reflects only me, what I say, what I believe, what I want, how I want it to look, how I say it should look, and if it doesn't match any of those, then you, my friend, are wrong. Huh. Matches your reality, matches your truth. It's when one leaves the concept of truth as being hard, fast facts, that have gained hard, fast realities into a truth that reflects what your perspective is concerning how you choose to see reality. They were bound by all of the things that preceded the identification of this last condition. So this is the closed position where truth Listen to this. Understanding, knowledge, and simple common sense are refused. This is a condition of rebellion. Unfortunately many are caught in this condition whether they be those attempting to marry tradition from the Jewish perspective or those who are preaching a gospel of grace that's misrepresented the way in which it is to be used or those who in spite of any encounter with truth concerning the freedom that is available in Christ Jesus continue to live in sin knowing the remedy they choose to remain in the areas that seem comfortable to them. This is a dangerous position from which to operate as the justice of Jesus Christ and his truth will ultimately be expressed. So I implore anyone who's stuck in the bondage of mind, soul, or spirit to be free from that bondage by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to do this as my final answer on each and every one of the questions of which I've been posed. I come under no bondage or captivity to the old law. Paul spoke to this in Galatians 5. I live under both grace and truth. Applied grace meets every need as it is directed. Application of the works and replications of his work in me is done by the Holy Spirit. Truth is the earmark of the Godhead's justice concerning how I have applied grace. The cross is the object of our faith. It is the catalyst of his actions and the replications that are meant for us to be in us. I live in the power of the blood, which is the strongest and most powerful substance the world has ever known. I live under the name of Jesus Christ, who is my high priest, my Lord, and my man in the Godhead bodily. Now watch this. Under that name, I cast down anything that is demonic in nature. Anything that is demonic in one's personality, one's character, or one's action. Therefore, I as the man of God and any believer who knows this can and will plunder every bit of the goods of the devil. Now wherever and whenever a demonic person or an element is encountered, the name of Jesus being expressed causes them to flee the space with this done and the space being free of any and all demonic, demons, expressions, and influences of which I have pronounced the name of Jesus over. That includes anything that is supposed to have demonic influence. How about that? That influence has been cast down, so there may be some who suffer under the heel of the demonic. That is not those who preach, teach, and declare the name of Jesus Christ, and who understand what his lordship actually means. You that have questioned and followed my ministry know that we at FCC uh, teach, believe, preach, and live in the lordship of Jesus Christ. His exalted name will always destroy any and all works of the devil. As I've mentioned, with respect to Christmas and Easter, I celebrate Jesus every moment of every day, every hour of every day, every week, and I assemble myself with those who desire to do the same. Worship is done from the heart. It's done to celebrate one of whom we celebrate daily. So the day is a point of contention that really should not even be a concern to anyone who is a true worshiper of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Now I worship Him and I believe that any day that I get up I can celebrate Jesus Christ. I also believe that if we celebrate him on the 25th day of December, and if we found that in the book of Haggai, then, if we are doing so correctly, then, we are worshiping and celebrating Jesus Christ. We are not worshiping Christ Mass, as the Roman Catholic Church does. We are not having an X Mass, as those that don't know up when they look that way. No, we are worshiping Christ Jesus the Lord. And we are worshiping the one who the angels said is Emmanuel, God with us, and who the angels in Luke chapter 2 told us that he would be our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my friend, the last thing I want to tell you is they say to us in these videos, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. Well, the heart of a believer in the New Covenant is in fact important because it is to that heart that Jesus Christ speaks through the Holy Spirit. So to disconnect us from our heart, is to disconnect us from the voice of Jesus Christ as he speaks through the Holy Spirit. And wouldn't that be wonderful to those who are trying to discredit worship, the birth, and the resurrection of Jesus? Wouldn't that be wonderful to the world messaging that says, well, that's not really real. Wouldn't it be wonderful if from our heart they could disconnect us Why would I say such a thing? Because that is exactly what Satan did when he disconnected Adam and Eve from God. So when that message about the heart snaps up, ah, I know right then, that's a deceitful message. Because it is a message that was tried with success in the Garden of Eden. What do I do with that? I say, that's a lie. That's a bald-faced lie out of the pit of hell. Like one man said, and it smells of smoke. Glory to God. I want to tell you right now, the heart of the Christian is everything. For one to say to us that it doesn't matter what you believe, it only matters what the Word of God says, my response is the Word of God has spoken to us. It's given us a new covenant that was better than the old one. He's given us an authority and a power that supersedes anything in the old covenant. His power dwells in me daily. His presence, his voice, and his word is in my ever-present fellowship. So the new covenant is my presiding document, my presiding agreement. So I know when someone tries to disconnect me from my heart that they're doing nothing more or less than what has been tried and done by Satan in the garden, but overcome by Jesus Christ. And an avenue through him, the blood that was his, the grace that was his, the faith that was his, and the obedience that was taught by him allows me to have the authority over every demon and every devil of hell and over anybody who is expressing and exposing demonic activity. Yeah, in the name of Jesus, Mark said, we'll cast down devils. Take our authority in Jesus' name. I've run way over, but I had to get through this. I want you to know I love you. I appreciate those that have questioned. But truth, the divine side of Jesus Christ will always prevail. And I believe in these last hour and a half teachings on this that what we have done is shown you the divine mind of Jesus Christ as he stands as the man in the Godhead bodily and reveals things that we need to be shown. May God bless us, Father. Open our eyes so we don't miss it. Open our eyes so we don't fall into legalism. Open our eyes so that we can be engrafted into the olive tree. Open our eyes so that we can know you through the blood, by grace, through faith. We ask it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. May God bless you richly. I see so many. I see Julianne and Betty and Bobby, and uh, there was David in the rain and Sharon, and I don't know how many more. But I want you to know this is a message you need to hear from wherever you are. It's a message you need to hear, because it is a message, truly, of the year of Jubilee. May God bless you, my Facebook friends. May God bless you, my great friends on uh, the podcast. Find him as Lord, and you'll find him as the man who is always in charge, exalted over every demon of hell. Find him as the man in the Godhead bodily, and he will show you great and mighty things that are to come. May God bless you is my prayer.